Money FM 89.3. Best of your money. Money and me on your money. Only on Money FM 89.3. Wall Street snapping back to life, recovering from a stretch of losses in recent months as big tech stocks came back into favor, at least temporarily. Apple, Amazon, other tech companies that suddenly lost their momentum late last week on worries that their stocks have soared too high too soon all regained some ground. That helped an S&P 500 rally of 2%. The best day in three months for the index yesterday recovered a little more than a quarter of its losses from the prior three days. What's happening in markets, investors? Let's turn to value investor Arun Pai, Chief Strategy Officer at Flow. His IQ is higher than Tesla's share price. Arun, how are you? <laughs> Good morning, Michelle. <laughs> I, I'm wondering though if Tesla crashes like fifty dollars a share, will you be still saying the same thing? It will probably be true, but <laughs> yeah, we're gonna get into Tesla in just a little while. But first up, help us understand the market. So, you know, in planning for the show, we were planning to talk about the sell-off and whether it's time to get out of tech stocks. But given the the rebound, what do we do now? Do we stay in? So it's quite interesting, right? Like obviously. It's not a big surprise from the market lows. I think it was March 23rd till now. You know, a lot of these tech stocks have rallied anywhere from like 50% to all the way like more than doubling. So from that perspective, in a very short period of time, right? Like in like less than six months. So from that perspective, was a correction somewhat healthy? Probably, yes. Was the velocity and speed of the correction something that investors can get over? That's going to be the tough spot because mm-hmm. a lot of investors are like new in the market right now. You know, every second day we keep reading about how Robinhood has like 10,000 new investor, uh, new clients coming on board, of which like three fourths of them have like bought all these momentum stocks. Mm-hmm. And they just caught this market move even like a couple of days too late. And then they are sitting on losses of like 20, 30 percent. And then you add that to the fact that there are so many instruments in the market, like kind of like what we touched upon last week or the week before of these leveraged ETFs on top of that, Mm. where greed takes over the market, you're sitting on losses of like over 50, 60% potentially. So from that perspective, uh, I think it is a bit scary, no doubt, for a lot of the investors. Uh, In terms of absolute valuation, my personal take is they're still quite frothy. Mm. But that being said, there are, you know, a number of really good names like Apple, Amazon, NVIDIA, where if you have no other alternative to park your assets, which in this case, sadly, with interest rates basically being staying at zero for the next two, three, four years, who knows? Are there any other avenues to invest money? Bonds are out, cash is out, stocks are the place to play. And if you're in that space, then, uh, you know, going for like really good, solid technology name, even with inflated valuation, one can hope that they can continue their disruption of industry, their cutting edge technology, providing extremely good customer experience. And for the long run, they could turn out to be a decent uh, investment. What a difference a day makes, eh? I mean, when you look at the technicals of this, uh, stocks recouping part of their three-day loss, an impressive broad, broad-based rally. Uh, are you seeing people move towards the uh, recovery stocks at all? Is there a rotation there? You know, that's an excellent question because 
I think this massive rally and this ma- massive-ish crash of technology stocks kind of led investors to feel, okay, you know what? We are not just the FANG stock market. Let's see what else is out there. Mm. And it's funny you mention it because I think yesterday, Howard Marks, you know, the famous value investor, he came on to CNBC and was saying, you know, technology stocks, I completely get it. Uh, They've done phenomenally well the past five to 10 years, especially in the past six months. But it's time to potentially look outside of just pure technology. Take a look at contrarian plays for the long run, along the lines of like hospitality, F&B, even cruise operators. And those could, you could see some very interesting value there where for the price that you're paying, corresponding to the risk, and obviously there's a risk in every investment that you make, but corresponding to the risk, there are some, uh, there is some hidden value over there. And those are some sectors that even he's looking at. And I think it makes a lot of sense. And I would include financials to that uh, spectrum, to be honest, because if your short-end interest rate curve stays so low, mm-hmm. which is basically like your deposit, but your back-end, which is like, say, your 10-year to 30-year interest rates are starting to increase because of inflation expectations, that kind of steepening of the yield curve, which basically means the back-end interest rate is higher than the front-end interest rate, is very beneficial to banks. Because banks, the cost of their capital, i.e., you know, borrowers depositing money in their banks, banks are happy to pay like close to 0% interest rate on that as something that I'm sure we have been suffering from for the past, since the global financial crisis. But when they lend money to corporates or to housing mortgages or to whichever other aspect of lending business that banks make their net interest margin from, they're able to lend it out at a much higher rate. And thereby, there is a good potential, in my humble opinion, given the price valuation of banks, this could be an interesting sector to get involved in. Okay, sort of very different from that other counter that a lot of retail investors find great difficulty looking away from because they have such devoted followers. And I am talking about Tesla. Um, you know, we've seen massive bets and you see, you see retail investors tallying up their winnings. Uh, how, yesterday I had an investor on talking about living through the dot-com bubble burst and he said he doesn't think that this has, it has some parallels, eerie parallels, but it's very different. But he did point to evaluation problem. He said back in, in, in the day when he was an investor starting his career through the dot-com burst, there were valuations as insane as a price to eyeballs when they were looking at, you know, at, at companies. But when you look at Tesla and you look at the fluctuations, how do we value it? To be honest, it's, it's next to impossible, right? Because once you get involved in story stocks where the momentum is just so much, where you have investors who are literally this like diehard fans of the product. And I know a number of cases where they've literally bought every single Tesla car that's been released. And they're currently sitting on like four cars, five cars. And which is, it just doesn't happen for any other car brand. So the kind of loyalty that this brand has managed to achieve in the real world, i.e. people actually buying cars, has translated into the investor world. So, you know, personally, having been burnt going short to some extent, uh, my uh, approach to this is take a step back, uh, <laughs> admire the mayhem that's going on in the stock market and uh, or in Tesla stock specifically, I should say, sorry. And, uh, you know, just enjoy that process because, it, you know, the, the your, your speaker that was on your show hmm. hit it absolutely spot on where back in the dot-com bubble, 
you've heard so many cases of companies just IPOing based on, you know, eyeball, just users coming on the platform, mm. no revenue at all. Forget even profits, right? Like zero revenue. Mm. And it was truly a crazy bubble. In this case, I mean, I don't know about you, but literally in the last week, I probably ordered from Amazon like four times. I've used Apple products. I've used Google extensively. And my eyeballs are going into advertisements that Google and Facebook have popped up into my screen knowing who I am. And they've tailor-made it to some extent. And I'm actually appreciated many of those advertisements because, you know, take us back to say like 15 years ago when we only had network television and it was just the most random ads that were coming on the screen, right? Because mm. there was no way to customize them. So in terms of the value proposition that these tech companies, excluding the fact that they might be monopolies or duopolies or whatever, mm -hmm. to me has been truly beneficial to society. And hence, they should be justified a certain premium to their valuation. Mm. Now, the extent of that premium, in my personal opinion, is quite excessive. I think Google of all of these, uh, the larger tech stocks seems to be most aptly still a little bit on the overvalued side. But again, you know, you've got to go back to interest rates being zero and hence you have to kind of like balance that out. So from that perspective, I still think Google is very interesting. The other stocks a bit too much. So Tesla, Ooh, you know, <laughs> great to talk about it. Happy to talk about it, but investing in it, uh, probably not. <laughs> <laughs> I want to hear your investor thesis on SoftBank. Um, you know, there's the speculation that it's the Nasdaq whale and it took a $10 billion hit because investors were uncomfortable with the conglomerates big and these risky bets on tech stocks. Uh, the losses a day ago wiped roughly $10 billion of the market value of SoftBank. What do you make of SoftBank? You know, I think this is one thing where the market in a way kind of got it right because this is, you know, it should be like a technology company. Then they expanded into going into the private market space uh, with the whole claim that there are massive dislocations. And now they're going into the public market space. So the options that uh, SoftBank uh, invested into uh, was something like $4 billion of option premium. And they actually made a $4 billion profit out of that. But the market seeing this corrected the share price by $10 billion, as you were saying, purely because of the fact that are you trusting your money to a company like SoftBank? Mm. Are you investing in shares for the long-term benefit of the company when Masasan is going around trying to punt around massively in the option market in a very short-term basis? So... You know, from that perspective, even though the underlying instrument made a profit of $4 billion, I think it was quite right for the investors to take a step back and say, okay, what exactly is this person trying to do with our shareholder money, right? Is this going to be like a glorified hedge fund? And if it is, then fair enough, you know, delist it, put it into the typical hedge fund kind of SPV or special purpose vehicle and let him try and make and uh, generate alpha or like market beating returns from that. It's very different from, say, like a Berkshire Hathaway, where, you know, I read some comments online that, oh, what's the difference between SoftBank versus Berkshire? Mm. Uh, both people are investing in it. Why? And the fact that, you know, he actually made a $4 billion pro profit out of it. Mm. Why are you, uh, you know, holding this guy hostage? Mm. To which I think it's a little bit different because Berkshire Hathaway has always been structured, well, not when it was a textile company, but right after Warren Buffett took over, it was always going to be a holdings company where money was going to be deployed for the long term. 
rarely, if ever, has that investment management team, you know, punted into options, taken profit out after three months, very hedge fund-esque material, which is completely fine if you are a hedge fund, not a publicly traded company. And I think that's the biggest difference where, you know, kudos to Masasan, you know, made a massive profit out of this. But from the perspective of investors, mm. I actually saw some rationality coming into the market where they were like, okay, we're not going to just go into this momentum play where, oh, he made $4 billion. Fantastic. Mm. I think he can make $30 billion out of it. Right. Markets feeling, if I wanted exposure to tech, I could do it myself. I don't have to buy SoftBank shares to do that. Precisely. Hmm. All right, let's look at, at gold. And uh, apparently it's been beaten by blockchain or exposure, companies with exposure to blockchain. So gold seems to be consolidating at around the 1,900, 1,910 mark. Uh, has had a pretty good run so far amongst investors who want to face a safe haven. But um, gold, Bitcoin even, has been pipped by another investment thesis, highlighting the adage, it's smart to be selling shovels in a gold rush than be buying gold <laughs> itself. So investors who threw their money behind a basket of companies with exposure to blockchain technologies would have returned 54% over the past year, even after the recent route that hit global tech stocks. What a fascinating thesis. So what do you think about uh, this whole thesis, looking at companies that have exposure to the blockchain? I mean, I, I, I kind of disagree with that purely because of the fact that gold has had like a 2,000-year track record of being a very good proxy to inflation, being a good safe haven, underlying commodity slash currency slash asset class. Blockchain comes along and I get it, right? Like I think uh, the blockchain global equity index ticker of block 45 companies in this space, sure, as, as a new technology that's come out into the, or relatively new technology, definitely new as compared to gold, has come out into the market, has attracted a lot of investor attention, and the underlying prices have rallied, which is fantastic. Mm -hmm. But to try to immediately compare that to an instrument that has been going around for centuries and has, you know, withhold, withheld the test of time, I think it's a little bit of a apples to oranges comparison. Now, that being said, I can kind of place both of them in the same box in terms of, you know, it just doesn't generate any kind of interest. For all practical purposes, it's not a productive asset. Mm -hmm. And interest rates are basically zero and will remain zero, right? So where do you, again, I'm sorry I keep harping on in this, mm -hmm. but where do you invest your money then in that case? Bonds, equities, or uh, commodities slash asset types like this? So from that perspective, I can see why the initial comparison might be brought about. Mm -hmm. But, you know, it, it's, it's, it'll be very foolhardy, I think, to immediately start comparing something that is completely untested. We don't even know if regulations will be changed in the next, I don't know, one, two, three years to try and clamp down on this cryptocurrency space. Whereas gold, on the other hand, is something that's been going around for hundreds of years. So from just those two perspectives, as a slightly more risk-adverse investor, gold to me, in, in the long run, mm -hmm. I would say is going to be a much better investment as compared to even a basket of cryptocurrencies. Very good. Very interesting as well. And I finally got you to be positive about gold. 
<laughs> All right. So first there was gold, then there was currencies, and now we're looking at digital currency as well. Uh, according to DBS Group, Asia, the largest digital payments market today, China alone comprising almost half of the worldwide transaction value. Now, there's no launch date yet, but we know the People's Bank of China is likely to be the first major central bank to issue a digital version of its currency, the yen. Now, you're a value investor. Are you keeping up with uh, China's digital ambitions? Do you think it's it's important that other investors do? It, to be honest, the payment space has been fascinating to me in the last like about ten years, give or take. Mm. So I've been following it quite aggressively, and it it I, I still haven't been able to come to a conclusion because all the information that I've read about this new Chinese digital currency is literally people downloading an app, mm-hmm. going to their not going, but like. Converting online their currency in their safe, you know, in their uh, uh, bank or deposit, converting it to this digital currency electronic payment or DCEP, and then going about using that app to go about like you know purchasing stuff or transacting money, etc. And to me, that sounds very similar to a Tencent, Alipay, WeChat. It's the same thing, right? I, I, I or DBS Pela for people back in Singapore. Where I got my DBS account, I take that money, mm-hmm. I kind of translate that or convert that quote unquote into uh, into my Payla app, and then I use my Payla app to uh, you know shop at uh, supermarkets or go to like restaurants, etc. So from that perspective, I'm kind of trying to understand what the longer term play is for China. Because are they looking to disrupt Tencent and Alibaba? Probably not, because those are the homegrown tech champions. Mm. But it seems like this digital currency is kind of doing the exact same thing in the consumer market. I think what will be interesting to see after they've kind of tested this out in, you know, they've already started testing this out in a few cities and they want it to be ready for the Olympics in 2022 or something like that. I think what will be interesting to see is how this shapes up in the international payment transfer market. And by that, what I mean is China obviously wants complete control over its currency. And realizing fully well with the advent of cryptocurrencies, the whole anonymization of the person behind the currency who's doing the transferring is taking place. You have Libra coming out, which mm. will, you know, this is not like cryptocurrencies at all, because it's all, it's all going to be backed by one-to-one by a currency, which is very similar to what China's doing, right? Mm. So from that perspective, I think this is more of a play to ensure that China has a very good hold of any kind of digital payment that takes place, be it within its own borders, or for that matter, in international payments. Because honestly, right now for international payments, Mm -hmm. it's a complete mess, right? If you want to transfer money to Malaysia or something, sure, DBS has come up with some kind of remittance scheme and all of that. But a lot of the more traditional banking players are still using SWIFT, which is this Mm. international code of transferring, which is archaic, right? It takes like two, three days for money to hit your account when in this day and age, it should be pretty much instantaneous. And I think that's the longer term play that China wants to ensure that it has the, you know, front and center most seat at the table. And, you know, that's what they're doing a pretty good job of. So in its current shape and form, I'm a bit confused. Hmm. I do feel, though, that in the long run, they want to get into this space. And that can obviously be quite interesting. 
All right. Before we let you go, everybody wants to know, where do we put our money? So uh, Goldman Sachs has singled out copper and it expects the copper rally to continue. Apparently, copper is Goldman's favorite commodity on the basis of cyclical structural support, ongoing supply issues as well. It says Glencore and BHP are companies that are best positioned to benefit from rising copper prices. What do you think? I think it's an extremely smart play, right? Because you have China right now and, you know, everything goes back to China when it comes to raw materials and metals. They've been pumping in tremendous amounts of money to like kickstart their economy. And we've seen that data coming out, and especially in the months of like end July, August, early September. Uh, we've seen the market opening up quite a bit more, growth coming back into the market space and then exporting a lot more goods and services. So when you have China trying to pump in a lot more capital, and by capital, literally, I think uh, last month was the second highest single month credit issuance of all time. So when you have such a massive tailwind, when you have, as Goldman Sachs has mentioned, specifically the copper supply chain issues, where on the raw material side for a very long time because of all this COVID stuff, copper mines were shut. So the underlying supply of the raw material was curtailed. And there was a lot of refined supply that was there in the market, which has now been used uh, courtesy the automobile industry, courtesy household appliance industries. So, you know, looking into your crystal ball to some extent, if the world continues to open up, continues to get over this whole COVID hangover, if that continues in the trajectory that's been going on the past, I would say about a month on, then we can, there's a very high possibility that the raw material, copper especially, is go- which is the bellwether of like the world economy, can be in short supply. And when that happens, you can easily see like a quite a large price hike. In addition to that, you obviously have the other tailwind of US dollar uh, weakening, right? Where the Fed has said that they're going to keep interest rates at zero. Mm-hmm. So high, there's a high chance that US dollar continues its depreciating path, which will be a boost to copper a good chance that inflation is going to start slowly coming back into the market. And that's going to be another boost to the raw material. So from that perspective, you know, copper seems to be a very good, uh, given all the risks that are there in the economy, which are still plentiful Mm -hmm. uh, from a risk reward perspective, copper does seem to be a quite an attractive play to make. Oh, I love ending on a happy note. Thank you, Arun. (laughs) My absolute pleasure, Michelle. Thank you for having me, as always. Joy speaking to Arun Pai, Chief Strategy Officer at Flow in Money and Me. Before acting on the information on Money FM, please consider if it's suitable for your own investment objectives, financial situation, and risk tolerance. To listen to more great interviews, download our podcasts at moneyfm893.sg or download the SPH Radio app available on Google Play or the App Store.